Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we discuss, educate and talk about industry news and hot topics, company reviews and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International. With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your host, Rob Tyson. Just before we start the podcast, we want to make you aware of the upcoming Mines and Money London event, which is back in person on the 1st and 2nd of December at the Business Design Centre. This is Europe's largest mining investment event and brings investors and mining corporates together to connect, learn and do business. And you don't want to miss the mining pitch battles. Investors can claim complimentary tickets and other attendees can get 10% off with a discount code DIGDEEP10, all in capital letters, when registering at mindsandmoney.com. So get your tickets now and we will hopefully see you there. So now back to the podcast. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Frederick Bell, who's the CEO of Elemental Royalties, who are an emerging, rapidly growing gold royalty company with world-class producing assets in four continents um, and are recently listed on the TSX. Um, Fred has over 15 years' experience in the mining industry, uh, working with a few explorers, uh, Few, sorry, a few explorers before taking the helm at Elemental Royalties just over five years ago. Um, and he's going to take us through his journey and what Elemental Royalties have achieved to date. Um, Frederick has also uh, received the Young Rising Star Award at Minds and Money 2018. Um, so he's certainly being recognised in the industry. So that's welcome, Fred, to the, to the podcast. How are you doing, Fred? Good. Thank you, Robin. And when you say I... I got that Young Rising Star Award in 2018, it suddenly makes me start to feel a little bit older. <laughs> well, it was, it was three years ago, and obviously a lot of yeah. things have happened, uh, happened in those uh, three years. So, um, yeah, now that's obviously an achievement that you that you received. So you've obviously been doing some good things in the industry. So um, that start with how your career has developed um, from way back when you graduated. And I noticed that you um, you actually graduated in history. So it'd be interesting to see, um, obviously, studying history and then moving into the mining industry. So I just wonder if you can give us an overview of your, of your background and your career to sort of current day. Well, I, as you say, I, I did history at university and I certainly wouldn't have thought, um, fast forwarding to today, that I would be on a, um, on a mining podcast uh, with a, a CEO of a Canadian listed you know, royalty company, so it is a, it's um, it was definitely not a, a planned career I had from a from a five year old or you see tennis players today and they they picked up a tennis ball age four and they said nothing else for me but tennis. I probably got to university and I I hadn't decided what I wanted to do. I thought the most likely career path was finance in the city in some way shape or form and and my first i graduated in 2009 and my first job and uh, my first internship were in the city essentially as a, a research analyst on the real estate side um for for what became part of investec subsequently and um and 
I had in my time at university worked with some junior exploration companies listed in London on AIM. And that was purely by chance. It was a way to get experience uh, sort of at the pointy end of the stick, small listed companies. And I thought it was a really interesting uh, experience I don't often get access to. So I, I fell into mining um, completely by accident. And it was through that work I had done for probably three or four years, all the while um, while I was at university, it was through that that I got my first real proper full-time job in, in Australia with what was then a uranium exploration company in 2010. And um, I moved out to Melbourne uh, two weeks notice, I believe. So <laughs> I, uh, I arrived and I didn't have a flat. I didn't have accommodation. I didn't have anything sorted. Um, so it was... Uh, it was an experience doing that. And um, I think that year, although it was really hard work, uh, it, it was what I think 2010, 2011, it sort of made me decide that I wanted to stay in the mining industry. And um, one thing I, I say, looking back on it now with the benefit of hindsight, is that at that stage, I hadn't really critically considered the industry and the business model. And I was just learning as I went. And um, something that I, I did learn is that junior development exploration companies, they have a, a high, high risk um, threshold. They are, by their very nature, they are very risky in terms of um, the size. And um, I think particularly a bit like pharmaceutical and agricultural companies, they have very long lead times of investment before you see returns typically. And, and so... Um, looking back on it now, if I said to my younger self, um, you're going into the mining industry and you want to stay there for life, I think actually I might start in a bigger company. Um, and that was, funnily enough, though, that experience and, and some of the scars I got along the way, I think that is what led to me um, setting up being involved with Elemental um, and, and, and thinking again about the, the mining space and, and thinking about the things I liked that I had experienced and things I didn't like. And a royalty company was the best way to sort of put those together. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you certainly you were thrown in at the deep end. Um, but one question I was going to ask, you mentioned, obviously, you went out to Australia and probably that was maybe your first full-time position. And I get a lot of, um, I suppose, graduates listen to this podcast, but also I get a lot, because I'm involved in recruitment, get a lot of graduates and people with a few years' experience Um looking for their next opportunity or even just a start in the industry. And you went straight out to Australia. What was that process from graduating and then suddenly thrusting yourself into uh, a new, well, going into going to a new country um, like Australia? What was that process and how, how were you going about trying to find that first job? Well, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those events that I didn't find it as much as it found me. And um, it was a result, and this is, I think, what probably is important for graduates. It was a result of um, contacts, connections, people I had met when I was doing work experiences in, and internships throughout university. And I was doing those with a view to general experience in the business world and maybe helping me decide what I wanted to do, not with a thought to, hey, this will lead to a job down the line. But funnily enough, that's how it worked out. Um, there was a company that had recently listed in Australia um, and, um, and and one of the management team wasn't well and um, they needed someone at short notice to come and it had to be someone who was familiar with uh, with the, where the projects were and the history of some of it. 
And by coincidence, I ticked some of those boxes. And I was doing a recently graduated with an internship in um, doing an internship in London. So I still remember taking the call in the fire exit stairwell saying there's this opportunity for you in Melbourne. Um, and I sort of said, okay, well, it's quite a big leap. Um, and they said, well, the good news is it starts in two weeks <laughs> if you want to do it. And I sort of thought, well, uh, I'm not sure. What do I have to lose here? And I had my, um, I still remember my mother saying to me at the time, mining sounds sort of crazy. <laughs> do a nice safe job in, 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 in London. Um, and at a time, my, my father sort of saying, well, if you, if you wanted to do something like this, it doesn't stop you nowadays from coming back and moving over to the finance side if you wanted to do that. But you might then have another string to your bow um, that other people wouldn't have with that experience. So um, I, I jumped in at the deep end, and, um, went to Australia, and um, it was a. It was a. In retrospect, it was a. It was actually a really, really good experience. And the person I worked most closely with in Australia, Richard Evans, um, he was one of the other people that really founded Elemental um, with me, and I've, um, that was that was going on over ten years ago. So again, for graduates listening, I think it's about. Um, it's a people business. I always believe it's a people business. And if you get to know um, good people, they tend to introduce you to other good people and, and things snowball from there sometimes. Yeah, certainly. And, and it's, um, from what you said, it's, uh, I suppose the networking starts from when you actually start studying a, a, a degree. So it's not, you don't do all that network of once you graduated, it is throughout your course. So building contacts, making making sure that you reach out to certain people i mean they could they could even obviously assist you in helping you with your studies um if you had any particular questions but it's also building those long-term relationships um which will eventually can come to fruition later in your career or maybe when you start out looking for for a position so i think that's key um and that's good some some good advice that you've experienced that um, in your in your own journey, even yes, even not being um, even not planning to go into mining, I think it's <laughs> but, but one thing I would add as well is it being involved with um, uh, a group young mining professionals in London, and um, the the aim is I think really to help young mining professionals get into the industry and um, help people who are uh, I think the aim is sort of under forty network build out their connections and develop. And I think that is something that is, um, if I was going back in time again, and I thought I was going to go into mining, I, I think I would. those kinds of events are ideal because it gives you an opportunity to meet people from a whole really broad sector of the industry. You meet lawyers, you meet um, people in some of the bigger companies, which we're lucky to have in London, some of the people from the corporate side. Um, and, and you forget how many people are involved from HR, legal, uh, accounting, finance, all the different professions that go into some of the big mining companies. And then you have the small juniors, you have the brokers, you have those who work on the, um, the, the marketing and IR side. So it's as well as all the technical sides that you normally expect to see. So I think an event and a group like that, try and do as many of those as possible, networking events and, and trying to meet people because uh, sometimes actually companies are as keen to, keen to find new, fresh, young people to join their team as you are looking for a role yeah um i'll, I'll ask you some questions a bit later on around the um because you're a committee committee member of the young 
uh, mining professional. So I've asked that. We'll, we'll speak about that a bit later on. But I just want to give us uh, give the audience an overview of what um, Elemental Royalties is all about. So a high level summary is that we are a gold focused royalty company. We listed it over a year ago on the TSXV in Canada. We also trade on the OTC in the US. And our 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 reason our, our reason to exist, our reason to be is to offer investors I think a diversified portfolio of interests. And and that is hard to do if you look across a mining space below a mid-tier company. It's actually in a royalty company, it's very often easy to have offer investors access to 10 different projects. And in our case, our real unique point of difference is that 80% of our portfolio by NAV comes from operating mines. So the majority of our portfolio is royalties on producing de-risked mines around the world. And that that is um, Australia, it is Mexico, it's Chile, it's Burkina Faso, it's Kenya. Um, so we have operating assets in all of those countries. And that makes us a really diversified company by jurisdiction, by operator. Um, and I think really unusually for the mining industry, it actually lowers the risk. And we know that there's lots of great things about mining. There's, there's such wonderful exploration upside and optionality and the power of discovery um, to really add value. One of the risks normally is quite concentrated asset risk or concentrated company risk. And, and sometimes the big major $5 billion, $10 billion mining companies can sidestep that. And the great benefit we have is that we can do that as a $100 million royalty company really from the outset. And so um, I think that's our, that's our sort of uh, background and, and intro into Elemental. Yeah. I, I wonder if you can give um, uh, our audience, um, I suppose, a highlight of a couple of the operations that you're involved in. Yeah, okay. I'll pick two. The um, the first one is a royalty held uh, on Endeavour, and they're a top 10 mining gold miner globally, on their Wang Yon mine in southwest Burkina Faso. And that started first production at the end of 2019. And that royalty is did a, produced approximately 175,000 ounces of gold last year. So it's, it's, a, it's a good size mine. And that is... Um, started off with a 10, 10 year, 10 plus year reserve life. And the really compelling thing about that from our side is that not only is this, it's a, it's a mine that started off as 130,000 ounce a year mine. They did 175,000 ounces in their first year. So they, they really operated it very well, very successfully transitioned into production. But as well as that, you have this huge exploration package of a thousand square kilometers around the mine and our royalty covers it all. And the best way... I can describe that to investors or, or listeners who don't know the royalty model is it's a bit like having an artist having a royalty on their song. And every time it plays on the radio, you get a dollar. And for us, every time they produce an ounce of gold, we get, in this case, 1% of the gross revenue. So if they sell that gold for $100, they give us $1 every time. And so the key you might have picked up already is the longer they mine there, the more ounces they discover the more they produce, the more revenue we get, but we never have to pay for it again. And we don't have to manage the mine. We don't have to reinvest in the plant machinery. We don't have to explore every year. We don't have to rehabilitate nowadays, which is a very large part, rehabilitate the environment and the community. 
Um, so that's a, that's a really key asset for us and, and one that we think will be a, a long life cornerstone uh, royalty for the company. Um, and the second asset is one that actually, it's Australia's newest gold mine and it's Capricorn Metals' Carla Winder gold project. Um, again, a very new mine just came into production, her first gold pour at the 30th of June this year. So its first quarter of production has just gone by. I think some of the brokers in Australia a week or two ago when, when their quarterly results came out and they declared uh, steady state production, I think some of the brokers in Australia said it was one of the smoothest ramp-ups of a mine in, in recent times in Australia. And that's partly because a management team, very well-known and very, well, very successful, they built Regis Resources, uh, most recently into a multi-billion dollar miner, um, built three mines in five years there. And all those mines ended up 30 to 50% bigger than what they started with. So it's a, it's a really, I think, experienced management team in Australia who know what they're doing. And this will be another 10 plus year reserve life you know, asset that if you see a mine that has 10 years starting life, typically it will go for a lot longer than that. And so I think for us, key is to have some really good operators and some really good assets from a geological perspective that will be cornerstones for us. And we can look out confidently with 10-year horizon and say, that is just what they're starting with. And I would, I would wager that you come back in one, two, three, four, five years, these mines are just as big as they are today, if not bigger. And we have been paid all along the way as a royalty company without needing to reinvest. And there was a great example, actually, two weeks ago, Endeavour at the Wang Yon mine. I just mentioned um, they announced they will add one and a half to two million ounces by the end of 2025. And they're planning to produce half that much. So essentially, they're saying that it will be a bigger resource at the end of 2025 than it is today. And that's exactly what you want to hear as a royalty company. And you get that with good quality operators. You get the cash flow straight away. So um, I think those are two assets that I would really highlight from, from our portfolio. Yeah. What, what prompted you to start uh, Elemental Royalties? Um, obviously, you've been in the, the industry for well, 15 years now. Uh, what made you decide to go into the royalty business? It comes back to your initial question on how I, how I fell into the mining industry. And, um, and I think I said then that it was something I hadn't critically thought about in terms of the business model. I, I thought, okay, great. This sounds interesting. Throw myself into it completely. I will work really, really hard. And I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one in the office. I'll be the last one to leave every day. And this will be great. And I found myself in a, it was a junior uh, uranium company in, in Melbourne that I, that I started at. And main asset would have been a satellite for Ka- Paladin's Kailakira mine in Malawi. And, um, and so it was uranium exposure. And anyway, for those with a long memory, 2011 Fukushima happened and uranium fell off a cliff. And we were sitting there. And um, I think starting to think, hmm, what is the timeline going to be on this project? And if you know, what are the chances that financing is going to be available and it's going to be a good return? And so I saw close up firsthand you know, some of the risks, some of the perils from the junior mining space. And Elemental, um, setting up a royalty company, everything about Elemental, I think it encapsulated perfectly all the things that are best about the mining industry. And it quite neatly allowed us to sidestep some of the risks that I experienced first up in a junior company. And I always remember that for the amount of money, there was a disproportionate amount of sort of bureaucracy, admin, overheads. When you're a listed company, it's unavoidable. 
whether it's quarterly accounting, prospectuses, financing, lawyers, auditors, the whole thing, it costs money and it takes up uh, X amount of time. And if you're raising 100 million a year, that's no problem. If you're raising 10 million a year, it's a significant cost. But in a bad market in mining, as we went into in 2011 for uranium, if you're raising two or three million a year, that is a serious amount of your budget and management's time and bandwidth. And so coming into the years after that, 2012, 2013, I think 2014 was probably almost an idea for junior exploration companies. And I saw companies who had had a technical success on paper and, and discovered a really good project and a resource. But in 2014, some of their market caps came off 80, 90%. And um, I was looking and going, wow, if that's what a success looks like, this is slightly worrying. I'm in my mid-20s and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this is not the risk profile I really want at this stage in my career. And I don't have the money and I don't have the credibility and the track record to come along and finance these projects where no one else can. And, and I thought, well, maybe a sensible path for me is either go and work for a bigger company and bide my time in the mining space, or if I set something up again, I want to do it and I want to try and avoid as many of these pitfalls I've seen as possible. And Elemental was a private company. So we, we sidestepped the listing. We didn't want to be a, a $2 million listed company <laughs> spending all our time on, on admin. So we are private. We, we had a, our first royalty was a cash flowing royalty. So we had revenue from day one and we had 18 investors, including ourselves. And most of them were people in the mining industry. And Richard and Peter, who started Elemental with, it was a lot of their contacts from ex-Western mining days in Australia. So we, we had the opposite of everything I experienced. Instead of having 500 junior investors, some of whom don't understand mining, we had a really core small group of, of people who had been successful, who understood it, knew the risks they were taking, and were happy to put it into a private royalty company. Instead of having no revenue and being dependent on the market, we had cash flow, and we had a measure of independence from the market. And then um, in terms of timeline, I think it was, it was great because we got immediate exposure to commodities immediate exposure to price movement and participation in that. So we were able to do that with a very small team from the beginning. And that's what really attracted me to Elemental is, is the ability, I think, to, to get revenue early on in the mining industry, which you just can't normally do. And as soon as you get revenue early on in the mining industry, it transforms your business outlook and potential because you can invest through cycles. And, and everyone knows that in the terrible years, you want to have money and be able to invest it. The problem is no one knows when those terrible years are coming. And typically, it hits everyone at the same time. And so no one ever has the money to invest, even though on paper, everyone looks at it and goes, this is a great time to invest. And as a royalty company, that is famously what royalty companies with revenue are able to do. Yeah. You know, we don't operate any assets. So even if commodity prices come off 20%, our revenue drops by 20%, the big royalty companies have 80% margins. So they are one of the few players in the mining industry who can keep investing through the cycle and actually make, I think, take advantage of the cyclicality of the mining sector. Yeah, no, certainly that's a, that's a good uh, explanation, definitely. Um, so what, what are the key challenges that you faced in obviously starting up a royalty company? Obviously, you've mentioned uh, reasons for going into the royalty, uh, royalty um, model, um, but what were the key challenges in actually starting up the business? I think one of the key challenges always is um, is finding the right people. And, and you probably touched on it earlier. 
in terms of networking and how as a graduate do you come in and you know nothing, you know nobody, <laughs> where do you even begin? You sort of sort of lost. And I think that um, I was I was fortunate in that when I moved to Melbourne, although that uranium exploration company, um, you know, that, that mine sort of now up and going uh, or nearly up and, up and going again. But um, when I moved to Melbourne, I, I was lucky in that I worked with some really good people and um, I stayed in touch with them over time. And without those relationships and, and network, I would not have been able to set up Elemental. And to give you an idea, um, so I say we're roughly, uh, I think, 100 million market cap now. But our first fundraise in 2017 was uh, at a million dollar valuation. And um, we, we bought a million dollar asset. And um, we actually, uh, we had to syndicate that royalty acquisition with a mining private equity fund because we, the royalty we were buying was roughly $2 million and we couldn't raise $2 million. So we raised a million. We gave the other half, did all the work, gave the other half to someone else who could at least help us close a deal and we could get up and running. So I think getting up to scale was difficult. And I think in the mining space, there isn't a big venture capital scene. There's, there's, and, and you look at tech, there's huge companies. You can, you can be multi-billion dollar private companies in tech very easily. In mining, typically, a lot of it comes from public market arena. And, and that's why you have a one and a half thousand junior listed companies, because it's hard to raise money privately. So that was a real challenge. Um, and I think in the royalty space, I, I often say that you're not a proper royalty company until you've got two or three royalties. And ideally, two or three paying royalties with diversified revenue, because that's one of the great benefits, diversification, lower risk profile. And so at the beginning, I'm going around pitching it. and I'm saying, we're, we're not a royalty company yet, but we're going to be one. And, and that was really hard because I'm pitching it to people who I think um, are naturally skeptical of uh, fresh-faced, probably uh, 30-year-old at the time, telling them that he's going to set up a a royalty company and then in a few years listed and um, sort of et cetera. So I think that was the hardest part, getting off the ground. And I always look back on it, whatever the challenges are today, if, if the market's bad or if, if there's problems at a specific asset or you know, go through the range of things that happen in mining, whatever happens, I, I always look back and go, it's not as hard as it was when we started. And I was chief accountant, photocopier, um, you know, business development <laughs> lead, and I sort of had to do everything. So um, it's it's an awful lot easier today. Yeah, no, and I can imagine it. And it, and it just shows you your vision uh, when you were pitching, obviously, without any any royalties. Um, but it's your vision and I suppose your determination from what you just said to get from where you were then to where you were to where you are now. Yes, and it's it's um, again. I think relationships are key because a lot of it was. It was people like Richard and Peter at the beginning vouching for me and vouching for me to people they knew. And, and so if you almost get that tick of approval, we, you know, we know Fred, we like Fred, and we think this is a good idea, and we're putting our own money in as well, then it's an awful lot easier to get people in. But if I, if I hadn't had people who had the network and connections with me in Elemental at the beginning, I, it would never have got off the ground. And um, I think there's lots of other reasons it might not have got off the ground at the beginning, but it was, um, I think that first fundraise or two, those were the, those were the hardest um, by, and, and you look at it today and 
Um, there's always things I'd like to do better and I think we can always improve on, but it will always still be very different to what it was uh, when we started in 2017. I think we had $400,000 of revenue um, and I think we'll have sort of guided to have seven, eight million this year and, and 10 million plus next year if we do nothing else. So it's, it's come a long way in a, in a, in a couple of years um, from where we started. Yeah. Um, what characteristics uh, does a company like Elemental offer to investors? The, the key one is it's um, diversified revenue from the outset. So you look across your investment choices in, in the mining space and you have your junior explorers, very high risk profile. That can be a zero, can be a hundred. You have your more advanced explorers, development companies, and maybe there's a three to five year horizon for them developing, permitting, building a mine. Um, and then you have your larger mid-tier miners and you know, multi-billion dollar companies typically, and your majors, 10 billion, 20 billion plus. And I think what Elemental offers is we have the same downside risk profile as a multi-billion dollar mid-tier miner but we have the growth potential of a junior explorer. And the reason I say that is because we have been able to double revenue year on year since we've grown. That is a fact. We pay nothing else, every ounce that is discovered across our assets now. And as we build out the portfolio, we get more and more optionality. We get at no cost to ourselves. And at the same time, we get as diversified revenue as, as companies that are 10 times, 20 times, 30 times our size. So if you want to get exposure to mining through a company and you're looking at a how do I do it where it's not, not all in Ecuador, where it's not all in one mine in, in Canada or Australia, you look for a mid-tier miner and you go, okay, they have two or three producing assets. So even if something goes wrong at one, we won't necessarily lose everything. And we offer that straight away from the outset, um, but we can grow a lot faster than a company that is 1 billion, 10 billion, 20 billion typically can. It's, it's easier. And I think we've demonstrated that. So that is our that is our unique pitch. And I think in the royalty space, the holy grail for companies is good quality assets, number one, but number two, cash flowing assets. Everyone likes to have revenue in the door. It makes you sleep easier at night um, and, and you can then reinvest that. And so for us to have a portfolio that is 80% by NAV over producing assets, that is... That is only matched by, I think, the, the big three, the major royalty companies in the space. Um, and so that is, um, that's a big differentiator. We could very easily be 40 exploration royalties, but we specifically didn't do that. And we specifically avoided that because we said we want to offer a different profile to investors. We know we can get exposure to exploration royalties anytime. You can go out tomorrow and we can buy 40 exploration royalties. It's not hard. <laughs> um, most exploration projects are looking to raise money and and a royalty for them is, is a fairly low-risk way to do it. Um, but it's much harder to get producing royalties today and then be able to use that revenue to go out and build out the pipeline. And that's the way we've done it. And it's required some discipline and some patience. But in the medium to long term, it will, um, it will pay dividends, hopefully liter literally as well as metaphorically. Yeah. And what, what's your sort of target in terms of uh, acquiring other producing assets uh, I mean, have you sort of got a pipeline over the next few years as to how many producing assets you want to get involved with? So we, um, so in, in the start of 2020, we sort of doubled in size with the acquisition of the Wang Yan royalty. 
And then towards the end of 2020, we announced the acquisition of three royalties from South 32, who were the spin out from BHP. And, um, and that closed earlier this year. And that doubled the size of the company again from that point. And the largest royalty in that portfolio we bought has just had its first quarter of commercial production. So that's really material for us because that royalty by itself almost doubles our revenue going into next year. So um, I think in terms of where we sit on the BD side, we're always active. We're always looking for new opportunities. One of the key catalysts for that, or maybe two key catalysts, one was to have Carla Winder, our new royalty, get into steady state production because at that point it de-risks it. And that royalty is paying us four, four and a half million dollars a year going forwards for as long as a mine goes. So it gives us some real comfort, visibility, additional diversification. Um, but secondly, as well, we think that that acquisition is a catalyst to enable us to get senior credit facilities with some of the big Canadian banks. And that's really important because that drops your cost of capital down significantly. And so if we can have not just our own revenue, but if we can have credit facilities from the big banks, I think that's a really good point for us to go out and do some more deals on the producing side. And the first one of those has just been hit, steady state production at Carlo Winder. And I think we've always said that the second one would follow from production at Carlo Winder. So I think with those two boxes ticked, I think it gives us a platform then to say, hey, look, we are a roughly 100 million market cap company, 10 million plus revenue a year from next year, got access to credit facilities that probably very, very few, if any, other 100 million market cap companies have in the mining industry. And we can actually go out there now and we can start to build our portfolio out and build a platform out. And um, that is, it's not an overnight thing. That is four years in the making, but it will be, um, I think it will be a, a really powerful position um, to be in for, for a company um, like Elemental. Yeah. Um, just moving on, you mentioned, obviously, um, the young mining professionals. You're a committee member of, um, of the young mining professionals. Um, I wonder if you can give, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, what you do. Um, and obviously, before we come, on, uh, before we come online, um, it seems you get up to a lot of, lot of exciting things. So I just wonder if you can tell us, um, tell the audience a little bit about what goes on. So young mining professionals... It was, um, it was set up by uh, a few people in London, um, primarily Catriona uh, um, and, and, um, and a few other committee members. And we ended up merging with a Canadian group called Young Mining Professionals. And we took the same branding and signage. And the aim really was to, to we had very similar mission statements, which was help young people in the mining industry, help them network, help them understand the industry better. Also, I think to some extent, help spread the message of what good mining can do because we are a lot of millennials in the industry. And if we talk to most of our friends, they probably have negative connotations when they hear mining. And I don't think that's always historically. I don't think what happened historically is, is necessarily the same as what's happened even in the last five years. It's changed so much. And you talk to any mining companies now and permitting and environmental risks and social risks, they're right at the top of the agenda, as they should be. And I think that um, that is a really different forward-looking vision of mining. And whenever someone talks about the green revolution and electrification of vehicles and all kinds of things, mining is at the heart of all of that. 
So Young Mining Professionals is a really good forum for us to get senior people uh, or even people just with different ex industry experience backgrounds to come and talk with other young mining professionals. And so to give you an example, last week, we had John Carr from um, New Century Resources in Australia, and um, and he came and it was a peer-to-peer -peer event. So he he came and talked about how they bought that asset from from a major, how they built it, or how they sort of you know, redeveloped it, um, got it up and running again. And I think it was it's really interesting hearing the perspective from people who who are young as well, and and how they how they um, navigated those hurdles and risks. But we have um, we now have probably ten chapters around the world, uh, mainly Canada, London, Australia a few others and i think that it's a it's a really good forum for anyone uh, to network with with companies that are in town and we do have networking drinks occasionally like we may have one around minds and money this year which is a great opportunity because we can then connect with people who are passing through london from canada and australia and get an even wider bridge so we've probably got uh north of 400 members now um there and we've had some really good events over the past couple of years, including one or two site visits um, with companies that we're hoping post-COVID we can start up again. Um, so, so that's really the background on young mining professionals. Yeah, uh, and I'm sure you'll give us the details um, at the end of this. So um, anyone that wants to uh, join, they can do. Um, lastly, and as a obviously conclusion, What's the, the next steps for Elemental um, if we look over the sort of short to medium term um, over the next year, next, next year to two years? I think for us, it's, it's, uh, it's continuing to build on, on what we've already done. I think the hardest part of putting those, that foundation, that platform together, I think we're, we're just on the cusp of it now. Um, very unusually, I would never have imagined saying this for a company that that listed in the summer of 2020. Um, fast forward a year, we've just sort of got over to Vancouver for the first time as a public company. So I very much hope that we can spend a bit more time in Toronto, in the US, in, in places, meeting some of our shareholders, investors, stakeholders, uh, even people we work with day to day who we've never met. I'm sure a lot of people probably have that in common coming out of COVID. Um, but for the company itself, I think it's, it's continue to build on what we've done. And what we what you know is really great is that we are piggybacking on some some fantastic operators and some really great management teams who are going out there and delivering really strong results. And so we get the benefit of being able to share in that. And I think that every month, every six months, every year that goes by, there is a greater track record and there is a greater, it's easier to evidence the value add that's occurred. And I think this this quarter, we're, we're, we're expecting to be repaid fully for one of our royalties, Amin Kaya, who we purchased in 2018. We were repaid fully last year for a royalty we bought on, on Kuala. So as time goes by, we can demonstrate some of these things and, and we can show that these are really good acquisitions to add a lot of value. And that helps us going forwards and as we continue to build out the company and the portfolio and I think add some really good people to the team as well. Fred, really appreciate your time. That's a great uh, story and a great journey that you've been on um, and obviously wish you um, all this success in the future. If our audience wants to uh, reach out to you, if they've got any questions, if they want to know more, if they've got any questions around um, 
obviously elemental. Um, how can they go about doing that? Uh, best way is always um, our website, elementalroyalties.com. And I think contact details are always on there. And um, feel free to uh, shoot across an email or, or call the office and, um, and we can get back to you. Yeah. And are, are you on any social media platforms at all? I think um, we are, we're, well, I know we're on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, and I think there's, there's, well, there is even a Facebook account as well. So, um, yes, we're, uh, I think we should be pretty easy to get hold of. Yeah, no worries. Well, if our audience wants to reach out to you, I really encourage you to uh, reach out to Fred. Um, like I said, I really appreciate your time in uh, sharing your journey. And those that are listening, hopefully you got some uh, inspiration from what Fred's um, uh, what Fred's gone through in his journey. Hope you picked up some uh, good points um, and even some more experienced uh, mining professionals that have been listening. Hope you uh, got some um, some points and some um, ideas from obviously what Fred has gone through. So really appreciate your time for listening. Um, appreciate you if you can uh, share and like this episode, um, pass it on to friends, family, anyone that's um, interested or maybe not even interested in mining um, because obviously there's um, investment opportunities as well. So um, appreciate your time again for listening. Until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.